I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and the author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I'm here in Newport Beach today with my good friend and coworker, Sean Latimer. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And we're going to be talking about an article that I wrote called Shiny Objects. The intro to this article is a fun story. So a lot of you that listen know that I grew up racing BMX bikes, and I like to talk about it because there's a lot of nostalgia. I miss racing bikes, and uh, I like to think about all the memories that I made along the way. It was fun because I was really young. I got to travel the country and compete in different areas. And what I talked about in this article is when you travel, you're basically doing two things. You're sleeping and you're competing. And those are kind of the primary things. Rest and get ready and then compete. Now, in between, you have this free time, and basically you can plug that in with leisure and fun and all sorts of different activities, and that's usually where I found myself getting in trouble, Uh, a little bit mischievous in my younger years, and uh, one memory that I talked about in this article was we were in Phoenix, Arizona, and have you been to Phoenix, Arizona before, Sean? No. You've never been to Phoenix, Arizona? Okay. Well, it's hot. So (laughs) Phoenix, Arizona, you don't want to go outside. It's really hot. I'm at the hotel, and they have this tiny little arcade downstairs, uh, are you a video game player? Uh, I was when I was a kid. What, what games did you play? Uh, any of those that had like car racing were always fun. You know, oh, yeah. did you have like a wheel at home that you could no, plug no, in? No, no, no. Okay. Uh, well, so I was playing at the arcade and it had, um, you know, the classic change machines. You go yeah. like, uh, you crisp your dollar up, like you put it on the corner. You got to make you, sure it works. Yeah, yeah, you shimmy it and you put <laughs> it in and it, it spits out four tokens. So I did that and uh, I was running out of money. And it was kind of like the end of the day. And I had one quarter I found in my pocket. So I was like, oh, I'll go convert this one quarter into uh, a token. So I put in the slot, the the coin slot, and it spits out four tokens, which is normally what you get for a dollar. And I was like absolutely astonished. I'm like, what just happened? So I took one of those tokens because I didn't have any more quarters. I put it back in the slot, and it spit out four tokens. So I figured out this free money. Mm-hmm. right this revolving system so i was playing games i was like the coolest kid in the arcade but the the demise of my fortune was i started to share this little secret with other kids and then people were elbowing to get to the change machine and then you look in from the hotel lobby into this arcade and there is i don't know uh a myriad of 12 year olds like <laughs> elbowing and bumping each other to get change and it kind of tipped the security guard off and he came over there and shut the machine down. But I thought this was a funny lesson because it was absolutely free money. Yeah. Like where in life can you exchange a quarter for a dollar? Yeah. It's kind of funny hearing your story. And because of the job that we have, it makes me think of the markets where someone finds some sort of arbitrage and then the SEC comes in and they're the security guard and they shut it down. They're like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's actually a funny story. If you ever read the book, um, it was I read it a long time ago. I'm, I'm not recommending it, but uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, I've heard of it. Okay. Old, old, old book. So one of the things that he talks about, he, I mean, the premise of the book is that he has a, a wealthy uh, or he has a, a father that's a school teacher and, and didn't make great financial decisions, but his best friend had a dad who's really wealthy and entrepreneurial. And he always turned to his friend's dad for advice uh, about money. And uh, one of their first endeavors, him and his friends on making money is they were melting down old um, toothpaste tubes 
that I don't know what they were made of, nickel or something like that, and they were putting them in like a cast, and they were making coins out of them that they could use at the arcade. And the the dad caught them, and he was like, he didn't know what to do because he wanted to get them in trouble, but he was the one that encouraged them on ideas to quote unquote make money. So that was their first uh, entrepreneurial endeavor. I had kind of a similar situation happen the other day. Uh, so uh, my son Mason, he's five, and he found an old pogo stick in my parents' garage. And he was so excited. And uh, this thing is probably really dangerous because it's from the 90s, you know. Yeah, when things and, were allowed to be dangerous. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he used it a few times. He was all excited. And then I came home and he said that, uh, hey, I, <laughs> my wife Sarah says, guess what Mason did today? I said, what? He goes, he sold the pogo stick to the neighbor kid for $8. And it blew my mind. I, I, I thought, what do you mean? So I asked him, I'm like, Mason, what, what, what is mom talking about? He goes, well, uh, Finn said he really liked my pogo stick, and so I said I'd sell it to him. I was like, where did you get that idea? He's like, well, Mom said that if I want a new Lego set, I need to be able to buy it with my own money, and it costs $9, and I have $1, so I told him I'd give it to him for $8. Look, what did he say? He's like, he went and got $8. I was kind of embarrassed because, one, we don't want to be... Wait, you're kind of impressed, I hope. That's the other side of the question. I was was impressed, but I was also embarrassed because I don't want to be selling our stuff to neighbors, and you know, but then... (laughs) because <laughs> he also told me he was selling these rocks that are crystals and making profit. But I was super impressed that he's an entrepreneur and he's already selling he's things. taking after dear old dad. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it, it reminds me of the story you're talking about from the book. It, it was kind of a cool moment. Quick time out to uh, first say thank you to our wonderful Brian Tong, who helps record these and puts all this stuff together. And he just handed me a note to say that those toothpaste tubes are made out of lead, Trevor. They're not made out of nickel. So they're melting down the lead (laughs) and casting them into coins. Keeping us honest. I like it. (laughs) But the the whole point of this is uh, whether it's Mason's story or my own story, it kind of leads you to believe there's such a thing as free money. Right now, your son, he's just like, hey, I go to grandma and grandpa's garage, grab a toy, hawk it in the neighborhood, and I can buy whatever I want. (laughs) And uh, it's probably a limited resource. But the disappointing thing I talked about in the article is, uh, you know, over the last 20, 25 years since this uh, story I talked about, I haven't come across these free money opportunities. I haven't found the slot machine that is a sure thing, pull the lever and win every time. So it was kind of disappointing. I stumble across a $5 bill or $10 bill every once in a while. But uh, for real money, you have to work for it. You got to be patient and um, you have to endure, which uh, I guess is fortunate or unfortunate. But there is no such thing as free money. Very true. We, we talk about this a lot when opportunities come up or clients come up with questions that if it does seem too good to be true, it probably it's probably is. too good to be true. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> That's why I always tell people, I'm saying, hey, if it sounds too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. <laughs> now, what does this segue into what's going on right now? What I talked about is in this, what I'm calling the COVID moment, right? Um, I don't know why this is true. It could be uh, there's multiple variables, right? But the reality is, is there are more retail people trading um, than normal. And I'm, I'm saying that not because I have some sort of statistical evidence. I'm saying that anecdotally, like when you go on Twitter or you go on Instagram or TikTok or whatever sort of uh, social media you use, you're seeing people talking about the trades that they're making. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, I noticed this actually a few months ago, especially when... Uh, most people were at home 
And you, you do mention in the article, some say it's a lack of sports. And I definitely believe that because when sports stopped, a lot of the you know social media things I would see that talk about sports gambling, um, those same people were now talking about uh, what type of stocks they were buying. And it was becoming more of a a fun thing to brag about, oh, I bought this airline stock or I bought this and how it went up. But then they also talk about how it went down. But uh, it, like you talked about in the article, it is true. I, I think there's a direct correlation where people do look at uh, like a gambling fund or something like that, and that they need some sort of sense of entertainment almost. And they look at it as, okay, well, you know, this is the, what's on the news all day is the market. This is something I can do from home. Maybe I should focus on this. Uh, what were you seeing? Well, and also just to clarify, when we're saying retail traders or, or uh, th- that sort of activity, all we're saying is that they're non-professionals, mm-hmm. right? They're not working in an institutional sense. They're not doing it for a profession. They are, uh, we call them pajama traders. Right. And that right. doesn't mean that sometimes people find success, at least in the short term. Yeah, definitely. So what I was seeing um, is I don't really know much of the background of Barstool Sports. Are you yeah, familiar with that? that's them? exactly what I was referring to. So uh, David Portnay, the, he's the president of Barstool Sports. It's been a, uh, it's like a media company, really, but they're kind of like journalists. They put together blogs, they follow mostly sports, and it's really funny. Do they talk gambling a lot? Is that normally what they talk about? Uh, lately, they have like a kind of a subdivision, like a separate Instagram account where it'll be like Barcel Sports Gambling and a sports book. And it's not a real sports book, but it gives you, you know, betting odds or just they, they're really just regardless. There's people that like to gamble that are using that as a resource and they're engaging as in it as entertainment or interest or or, you know, studying for their their gambling trade. Exactly. But yeah, the CEO, like you said, uh, he's taken to social media. He even had an interview, I think, with Donald Trump. He's uh, been on CNBC a lot. He, he has like a, a video blog, a vlog where yeah. he talks about every day and he's like, this is easy. I'm up. Yeah. This and his the name he's calling it is something funny like uh, Davies. Uh, global trading unit yeah, or something. Yeah. I, I don't even remember. It's like DDTG or something like that. Um, it, it, it's almost making a mockery uh, of investing. And like he's talking about it, it's being easy. And uh, he's buying the things that are probably the the headline news. Mm-hmm. So we saw, you know, uh, a company that people might be familiar with that uh, used to be known for photography, and now the government is supporting them for maybe some sort of pharmaceutical stuff. And we saw the stock price go through the roof. There was another, you know, uh, famous car rental company that is filing bankruptcy. And we saw uh, traders on a Robinhood app begin to buy that as it was filing bankruptcy. So it's this high level of speculation. And maybe are you familiar with Robinhood as an application? Right. Yes. Talk a little bit about it. It's a pretty easy application where you're able to open an account with your basic information. Um, You're able to make a deposit. It. They give you, um, I don't want to call it a gimmick, but they do try to entertain some sort of like bonus that if you donate a hundred dollars we'll give you fifty dollars for free in trading and so it, it does really feel like uh i don't want to compare it to a sports gambling app but it does feel kind of gimmicky but it, and i i think it's okay for if people like to pick individual securities and they they like to look at that money as i, I don't know if it's going to go up or down but I, I i do believe i think it might so i'm going to put money towards it i think that's a great way to look at it but and you do talk about it in the article and i hope i don't get too far ahead of ourselves. But I think that that gets really dangerous when it starts turning into real money. Um, I, I've had friends tell me in the past, they go, oh, I opened a, a trading account and I'm doing well. I'm up, you know, 200%. But they started with $1,000 and now, now it's a few thousand dollars. It's not really a, 
a needle mover for them. But then they said, yeah, and I found out in my 401k, I can start buying individual stocks too. And I, I look at them and I say, do you think that's a good idea? And it, it's kind of scary because they, they do kind of get that aha moment that now they're talking about a larger sum of money that could really change their future. And I, I think that's important to keep in mind is there's a big difference between looking at a small portion of money, the same amount of money that maybe you'd spend on sports gambling or going to Las Vegas or something like that, compared to retirement savings that's supposed to last you the rest of your life. Yeah. And I would say the difference between that person and a professional or a financial advisor or whatever comparison you want to make, because it's common to say, man, this is, you hear this, this is easy. Like, how is this a profession? I should be doing this. But it, when you have $1,000 on the line, it's a lot different than when you're managing billions of dollars of client capital, and you're accountable to that. Mm -hmm. You're responsible for that. You're responsible for somebody's kid's college, uh, their retirement, this, that, and the other. You are going to look through a different lens on the appropriate amount to take risk. You can't just flip a coin and hope for the best. And I think the criticism I've heard about Robinhood uh, a lot is about the user interface, because it's a user interface that makes it very much like a game. Mm -hmm. Like when you buy a stock, it like explodes with yeah, confetti. Like, exactly. They use bright colors and things like that. And what I want to, and I didn't talk about this in the article. I probably should have, but I didn't want to go down this path too much. I want to analogize that to um, the criticism that the vape industry has gotten. Is that what they called vapes? The Oh, those like e-pens? E-pens, like, e they're like cigarettes, whatever. Yeah. yeah, so the criticism and what the public service announcement and all that stuff is like, why are they coming out with flavors for like these? Cotton e candy. Cotton candy and bubble, bubble gum, gum yeah. and things like that. Exactly. Like, how are you not marketing to children? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there's this thing that Robinhood is doing that I think uh, deserves some criticism is that you're almost encouraging speculation. You're turning it into a game. Like, it's not very easy to, un to, to look at the interface uh, of Robin Hood and see it much different than Candy Crush or something like that. Right. But the reality is there's a big difference between gambling and investing. Yeah, it's true. And I, I, I think you talk about in the article, especially when people start to learn uh, what margin or leverage is and uh, they don't necessarily understand it. Maybe, maybe you can talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So uh, I enjoy Twitter. I use uh, Twitter as an opportunity to find different articles and things like that that I want to read about. So I go on there, I have, you know, a couple hundred people I follow, they're financial people, and they're having conversation and pointing to articles and stuff like that. I really enjoy it. And one of the gentlemen that I follow on there, he posted maybe six or eight weeks ago, um, this long form story, it's called a thread inside of Twitter about how his cousin-in-law um, had taken his own life. And the backstory was that he had a Robin Hood account, he was using options, and we're not going to get into the complexity of options on, on here, um, but the way he set up his option trade, it, it made it look like he created a negative seven hundred fifty or $800,000 loss um, because the stock price went against the option trade he set up. Now, they haven't released um, – Robinhood hasn't released his actual trade. The details. The details. Most people will say that he didn't actually create that loss. It was just a, a – I don't want to call it a malfunction. It, it's just the, the system needs to equalize overnight, and it, it would have been offset by the stock. So we, we won't get into all of that. But nonetheless, um, this person I follow on Twitter, uh, really nice guy, writes some great stuff about value investing, is talking about his cousin-in-law who just committed suicide. And in his note, his final note, he's basically saying, hey, I'm 20 years old. I don't know much about investing. 
who in the world gave me access to put a million dollars on the line? I don't even have that much money. Yeah, not to cut you off, but I, 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 we don't want to get into the weeds too much. But I think that might almost be worse that you kind of mentioned that the actual unrealized loss wouldn't have been as bad because the the way the mark the options would have been marked the next day, and the fact that he didn't understand that and took his life on maybe something that wasn't actually true. I feel like that's almost worse. Yeah, we talk a lot in our country about this importance of financial literacy to make sure that you know people can balance their budget and pay their bills and things like that. But this is also part of financial literacy. Uh, somebody just took their life over a misunderstanding when it comes to investing. And should this tool be accountable in, in some sense? Yeah, that's a question I'm not ready to answer. Yeah. But um, what some people are doing right now with Robinhood, and it, let's go back to this. Why did I write this article? Well, three times in the last couple of weeks at gatherings or seeing friends, um, of course, I'm social distancing. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're flashing their phones and showing me, hey, I've made this amount of money on airline stocks or cruise lines or whatever. And they're big smile on their face. Like, this was so easy. Like, what should I do? And I'm looking at the dollar amounts. I know the people like it's meaningful money. And I'm just thinking, why? Like one person asked me this week, said, Hey, I just made all this money. I'm going to use this money to buy a house in a year. What should I do? I told him you should hold it in cash. Like you need that down payment to be predictable. Like, why would you roll the dice? And for me, when they do that, and then they come to me, it's blurring this line. I absolutely think they're gambling, mm -hmm. but I don't gamble. My profession is not giving people advice about gambling. Why are they coming to me? Because I invest people's money. I manage people's assets. They don't know the difference. Right. And that scares me. Yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, it's interesting. People always, you know, typically they approach us with uh, an investment idea or something a neighbor said or something that seems you know, sexy or exciting. And uh, it's kind of like what we said before, if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. But it's scary because sometimes people look at it like this is my one opportunity to get that easy money or make that quick dollar. FOMO. That's right. This idea of fear of missing out. Um, it's a common term right now. And the reason that's a common term is because it's popping up in all facets of life, including uh, investing or what we're calling gambling. And I, I, I took a turn in the article and I talked about venture capital because I, I do think that this narrative from the venture capital world is important to this story. In venture capital, there's something called a unicorn. And it's this idea of a startup business becoming a billion-dollar business. Mm. And these are headline stories. These are household names. And you know the CEOs and the leaders, and you know that they came from this to that. And uh, it's very familiar to you. And because it's familiar, you start to think it's normative. You, you don't start... hear about all the ones that didn't work out. Exactly. Yeah. You start to think, okay, that's the rule. It's not the exception. Mm-hmm. And it can be extremely deceiving because if you believe that, then you want to attach yourself to any up-and-coming business. And here's the problem. You have no – I'm not how – how do I articulate this? It's not easy to figure out what a business is worth. Mm -hmm. It's not as easy as just saying, I think that's a great company. Can Are there great companies that are bad stock prices? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So this idea that valuation matters, and even when I use that term, 
if I go talk to 10 friends right now and I say valuation matters, they don't even know what I mean. Right. So what I mean, and I said it in the article, Sean, I come up to you right now and I say, hey, I'll sell you this fast food cheeseburger for $100. What do you say? No. No way. No Why? Way. Because it's probably worth $2. Yeah. You know, like the back of your hand, the value of a cheeseburger, the price of a cheeseburger. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. What are you trying to say? Well, <laughs> <laughs> cheeseburger Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> you know the price of a cheeseburger. Now, if I go insert a stock name of a company that makes cheeseburgers, of a company that makes uh, non-meat-like burgers, uh, it's not as easy. No. Yeah. And we have these financial metrics we call it we, – we say valuation. A lot of time valuation is comparing price to different attributes of the business. Mm-hmm. Price compared to cash flow. Price compared to sales. Price compared to earnings. And that helps you make a company uh, relative to its peers and things like that. What I'm saying right now, when people are jumping on these Robinhood apps and things like that, price doesn't matter. If everybody's buying it, follow the momentum, follow the herd, look at what uh, Barstool Sports is talking about on their vlog, and just throw money at it. Mm-hmm. That's not investing. No, it's true. I uh, I think I read an article that was talking about that there's funds out there now that will see the retail momentum trends and then automatically take the other side uh, immediately because they realize that uh, what do you Im- mean when you say the, take the other side? So uh, they, if they see a um, large number of re- retail accounts purchasing um, very speculative stocks that maybe the valuations don't make sense, they will take the other side, which means they're betting that it's going to go down in price. And uh, I think it kind of goes back to I, I remember hearing this story that if you know your Uber driver is recommending a stock to go buy, it's probably uh, when it's getting pretty frothy or maybe a name that you shouldn't be interested in. Yeah, uh, I think uh, the term would be irrational exuberance. Yeah. Um, so along those lines of what you're talking about, I, I wish I knew this off the top of my head. I, I've read lightly about it and I, I don't remember exactly. But uh, one of the ways that Robinhood does make money is selling that data to big hedge funds, like right. well-known hedge funds. Uh, what they're using that data for, whether it's to short those stocks or whatever it might be, I don't know, but that, that data is useful because uh, you're trying to see who's taking the trade and and you know what's their intellect and their reasoning and their valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one thing I mentioned in the article, we have a name for this in finance. It's called bubbles. Yeah. Um, it's when price disconnects from the intrinsic value of something and this is the point I make in the article. The absolute toughest thing about bubbles is that they get bigger before they pop. Mm-hmm. And it's human nature. You combine that with FOMO and... Yeah. Your neighbor is uh, at a mid-sized bubble and you're watching them as that bubble gets bigger and their assets are growing and the prices and the stock that you think makes absolutely no sense based on the price it's trading at. Uh, keeps getting bigger, and you feel stupid. Mm-hmm. You feel crummy, and you feel like you're missing out. And this is when your patience and your convictions will absolutely be tested. And the hardest thing about bubbles, you have no idea when they're going to pop. Like, I remember as a kid with bubble gum, right? You always would challenge yourself to make a bigger bubble, and some of them would pop kind of small, and some of them would get as big as your head. Yeah. And if it did get big as your head, it's all exploding all over. <laughs> it's yeah. worse and worse. It's all over your face. So, so, so let me ask you. So, I, I know we can't talk about individual investments on the uh, podcast, but what what type of opportunities do you hear the most that pop up, or neighbors do this or do that? Yeah. So, 
Good question. So even rather than be anecdotal, there's a website called like Robin Track or something like that. And it's uh, somebody else is basically showing you the top 10 popularity stocks in Robinhood. And this is not a, a knock on them. That just happens to be the platform that a lot of pajama traders are, are using. Um, and it's popular amongst a younger demographic and a demographic that probably isn't well-versed in what happened in the early 2000s mm-hmm. and the last bubble we experienced. Because that's usually what happens, right? Is that uh, if you go through the financial crisis in 2008 when it's speculation on real estate, that probably won't happen again until this generation uh, is is not in the in not uh, influencing real estate prices. Mm-hmm. But once you get one or two generations away from somebody that already experienced a bubble like that, history repeats itself. Yeah. Um, so what kind of stuff am I seeing? I'm seeing stuff that doesn't make sense. Stuff that the price has tripled recently is the most popular buy. Um, things that are filing bankruptcy, yet everybody wants to purchase them and speculate them on them. So it's not something your professional investors or institutions are putting a ton of effort um, to try to understand and make those purchases, yet there's this cult subsector that is elevating the price with no reasonable thesis for what they're doing. Um, Now, can I identify that as one individual stock? Not on this podcast, but like I said, that Robinhood track, you look at those top 10, and uh, if you guessed them, you'd probably be right before even looking at it. Yeah. And one thing I mentioned at the end of the article uh, is uh, if this article feels like a rant, it's because it absolutely is. Like my tipping point was reading about that young man that took his life. This is not a joke. Like this is absolutely serious. Um, And it points to the importance of financial literacy and the importance of people acting prudent with their money. Uh, Some of these mistakes that you could make financially, they have like long-term negative effects. And I don't want to make this podcast too emotional, but let's be real. When you look at divorce figures and things like that, one of the number one, I don't, maybe it's like top three, top five. It's definitely top three. Yeah, top three is finances. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what happens when um, a husband or wife goes out and does one of these gambles with a meaningful amount of money without talking to the other spouse mm-hmm. and it goes against them? Resentment. Yeah. And, and it, Yeah, exactly. And what is the ripple effect of that? Like, this is a serious subject. This is not a joke. So everybody that's going around at parties, like laughing about it and joking about it, like it has negative effects and uh, culturally, I think we need to address it. So yeah, it, it absolutely is is a rant. Um, and it was it was a good jumping off point from our conversation last week because last week we talked about people being influenced about the election and making you know bad short term decisions mm-hmm. about how they're going to trade around that. Now this is the same thing. Is that uh, that was about a fear. Um, and this is about greed right? and wanting to chase down and find that token machine that you can trade quarters for dollars. <laughs> I do like that story. It doesn't really surprise me that you were the one that figured it out. Well, I mean, it wasn't fi- – it, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense, but it wasn't <laughs> even figuring it out. And it was like definitely mischievous, but uh, man, it was it was so funny. And we'll end with this. The funniest thing about that, and as I was writing the article, I was thinking about it, is I called it those in-between times. But it is funny that my fondest memories aren't of like the trophy I got uh, or the race I won or things like that. It is these 
memories I had with friends and things that we did that looking back at them, like I was laughing when I was thinking about this because I think about the specific people that were there with me. I think about somebody like a, a big brother grabbing a little brother and pulling him away from the change machine and trying to put his quarter in and all this. And I just imagine that scene from the view of the security guard that is like, what in the world is going on there and now being a dad like if the house is too quiet you're like yep. something's going on right, right now <laughs> so you come around the corner and you realize that your son opened the pickle jar and is trying to feed him to the cats or something <laughs> i actually caught my son the other day uh, we have cats and he was on all fours uh licking the cat water because oh, no. he saw them do that so uh if uh if if there's calm in the water you uh you know the storm's coming you got to be careful Definitely. So we'll wrap it up there. Um, as always, we're going to ask that you rate the podcast, leave a comment on bottom. And I, I, I was really serious at this article. If you are in a place where you're not sure if you're investing or speculating or gambling, send us an email. I'm T Cummings at the Bonson Group.com. Sean's S Latimer at the Bonson Group.com. Uh, we would love to just dialogue with you and give guidance and point you in the right direction. Like I said, we take this really seriously. We think it has. Uh, serious consequences and implications and uh, if we can provide help or guidance we would uh, welcome the opportunity to do that so we'll close it out there and we'll be back next week for another thoughts on money podcast the bonson group is registered with hightower securities llc member finra and sipc and with hightower advisors llc a registered investment advisor with the sec securities are offered through hightower securities llc advisory services are offered through hightower advisors llc this is not an offer to buy or sell securities no investment process is free of risk and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.